0: Revelation chapter 20 is where we are. Very, very important chapter for you to understand. And so what we want to do is read it and then we dive in. This is week 63, by the way. We have been in this study for a while. Um, So let's read it first. If you're there with me, Revelation. I see some of you turning. Revelation, last book of the Bible, chapter 20, verse 1. Say amen. It sounds like most of you. He says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. So that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go up on, uh, to deceive, go out, excuse me, to deceive the nations which are on the four corners or in the four corners of the earth. God and Magog, God to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented, notice, day and night. How long? Forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it. From whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your word that you have given to us. And Lord, as always, we, we ask that you would Remove the things that hinder the cares of this life, the burdens of this world, even the distractions from the room. But more importantly, this morning for this text, Lord, that you would also remove the false teachings which have plagued, plagued the church, which hinder us in our understanding, that we may hear what you have to say this morning. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And so a very important chapter and I wanted to read it kind of slow because it's a chapter that has been misunderstood and there's been a lot of miswriting and Uh, misinterpretation of it through the uh, age of the church and almost to the point that you have to put all the commentaries aside and which is a good thing because this morning what we're going to do is look at the scripture and see what the scripture is saying to us and let God and his word be true and every man a liar if he doesn't line up with what the scripture is saying because the scripture is speaking very loudly and it's given us uh, a clear picture of these things to come and so what I want to do is answer a few questions this morning as we go through this text. We're going to do three verses. And I want, to, I want you to see the when and, and, and with that the how long, the what and the why. And those are things very simple that we want to answer so we can gain understanding and we can know what the Lord wants us to understand as far as this text and how we can live in light of that. Because the Lord has given us his plans for the future. He didn't leave us as orphans. He gave us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, which leads us into all truth, who is opening up the scriptures to us so that we can uh, thrive and have a right perspective of end times. Because when, we, when, our, when our understanding of end times is skewed, it affects how we live now as believers. How many of you believe that? And it's so important uh, for us to have a fresh understanding of these things. And I guarantee you those of you who are studying the scriptures along with me, that you are going to find yourself in a situation where you're going to have to re-preach what I'm going to give you today to someone who wants to know what in the world is going to happen on this earth. And it'll be up to you to deliver it and you will. Amen. Amen. All right. So the first thing is when do these events take place? And the when is answered for us in verse one of chapter 20, because the when. Is the then we see at the beginning of the verse, then I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having to keep to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and of course he 's going to lock the dragon up in in, in in the bottomless pit. We understand that, but the with the wind that then that we see is distinguishing this time. If you will, from the previous events we just saw as happening in the chronological order that the Lord and the Holy Spirit has given to us concerning this book of Revelation. That then is after Jesus has returned to the earth and destroyed his enemy and beginning to then establish his kingdom. is after those things that he's going to lock Satan up, that he's going to establish his kingdom, and that these things that we're seeing in chapter 20 are going to begin to unfold. And it's very important that you see that because the church has been plagued. Listen to me very carefully. The church has been plagued with enough false teaching to confuse the universe when it comes to things concerning chapter 20. For various reasons, and I won't go into all the details, but there are a lot of scholars and you can read a lot of commentaries that will tell you that the events that you're looking at in chapter 20, they have an millennial view. And they're saying that all of these events in chapter 20 are taking place between the first and the second advent of Jesus Christ, meaning that everything that we're looking at in chapter 20, according to these false teachers, are happening now in the church age between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so they they don't believe in a literal return of Christ to reign on the earth for a thousand years. Yet all the Old Testament prophets foretold of this, as well as the apostles. And then there are others who take a post-millennial view, which try to paint the picture that these things are all symbolic pictures of how the church will triumph during the age of the church, as if the church is going to be victorious through the preaching of the gospel and change the, the world for the better, and I have to tell you that that obviously ain't taking place. In fact, as we look at the things that have unfolded in this world, the, the wars and, and the uh The uh, persecution of the church, even the church in this last time, this last age, this last century, has been persecuted more than ever before. And the world clearly, according to the Old Testament prophets and the apostles of the New Testament church, are telling us that the world is going to get worse. In fact, it's going to be at its worst state right before the return of Jesus Christ to the world. In other words, we're not going to fix the place up, y'all. It's going down. And all we're going to do is shine bright and preach, and then we going up. But we're not going to fix this world. And so as we look at these events, it must be very clear to us then that these events are going to take place in the future after the Lord has returned to earth and after he has began to, begun to establish his kingdom. And it's going to happen, listen, for a literal thousand years and as you read with me through the chapter, you saw over and over and over that these events will be his reign. Jesus Christ will establish his kingdom and reign. Satan will be chained up all for how long, y'all? 1,000 years. Now, some say, well, Pastor Kevin, come on. A day to the Lord is as a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years to the Lord is as one day. And Peter told us that, didn't he? Yes, he did. What Peter was not saying is that there won't be a literal thousand years. He's just saying to the Lord, it's like one day because he stands outside of time and time is irrelevant to him. He sees everything from the beginning all the way to the end. So in no way is he saying that there won't be a literal thousand years. In fact, everywhere in the book of Revelation that you look, God is extremely specific with the numbers that he uses. We know that from chapter 7, when we saw in chapter 7, 144,000 Jews sealed by the Holy Spirit. Y'all remember that? And he was so specific that he gave us the 12 tribes of which 12,000 would come from each one of them to make up the 144,000. And he said there will be seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls and 1,260 days, another place 42 months. And all of these things, he's very specific throughout the book of Revelation And so here, when he says a thousand years, I actually think he means a thousand years. At the same time, to him, it's a day. And I like that because when I began to think about that, it got me real excited. Maybe it is a day to him in the way he views it. But it's definitely going to be a thousand years to those who will be on the earth. In fact, I love it because as I think about it, the prophet Hosea on the screen says some wonderful things. Hosea said this in chapter 5, verse 15. Hosea says, I will return again to my place, capital M, till they acknowledge their offense, speaking of Israel. Then they will seek my face in their affliction They will earnestly seek me. I love that verse. That verse describes a lot of things from the New Testament because Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving and you shall see my face no more till you cry out. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as he spoke to Israel, as he condemned them for missing their day of visitation. Matthew chapter uh, 23, right around verse 30. And he said, "Your, your house is left to you desolate. And he prophesied of the destruction of the temple. And so they would see him no more until they would seek him. And, and, and he would, they would seek him. Even Zechariah talks about upon his return as they recognize him as their true Messiah. So chapter 6, verse 1 of Hosea says, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. I love that because they weren't a nation for 2,000 years. And then after that, he revived them to be a nation. Uh, Maybe that's two days in in the Lord's eyes because a day to the Lord is 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is as a day. So after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. And I love that. As They would see his face no more for 2,000 years until they cry out, he will return And he will establish them in the kingdom. And for a thousand years, he will revive them and lift them up. And he will reign from Jerusalem as Jesus will rule from the earth. All the Old Testament prophets speak of it. And so it's so wonderful to begin to think about all of that. But as I thought about that and I I think about what the Old Testament prophets are saying, I think I did chapter 19, a a disjustice as, as you think about it, because it seems as though the Scriptures together are painting this picture of this triumphant return of Jesus to the earth, which is going to be spectacular, way more than we could even believe. And as I've always told you for the last 10 to 12 years, that I believe the church should have theme music on our return. As the Lord is out front and we're riding shotgun on white horses, y'all remember that? That there should be some theme music. Y'all ain't going to believe it. I think I found that there's going to be theme music in the Scriptures. Psalm chapter 68, it says, Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. It kind of speaks towards his return, and that is exactly what's going to happen. But let the righteous, it says here, be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Uh, yes, let them rejoice exceedingly, sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the what? And the book of Revelation says he's coming on the what? I think what verse 4 just shared with me is what we're going to be doing when he returns on the cloud. He's coming back, he's on his white horse, and I I think I missed it before because I told you last week we're not going to fight. Y'all remember that? He's going to fight out front on his horse. We're riding shotguns, seeing the whole thing, but I don't think we're just going to be riding. I think verse 4 says we're going to be singing praises to his name. Extol extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and that speaks of Christ coming back, or Yahweh, but Yah because the psalmist wouldn't write the whole thing. No Jew wrote the whole name of God and rejoiced before him. I believe the picture is, y'all stay with me. I believe that the clouds will open, the sky will open, Jesus will be returning. He'll be destroying his enemy, destroying the wicked with the brightness of his coming and the sword that comes out of his mouth, the authority of his word as his wick, the wickedness are being destroyed by the presence of God, and we ain't just going to be chilling on horses. We're going to be worshiping. They're going to hear, listen, they're going to see him. I believe they're going to hear a sound, and I think the sound is going to be the bride, the wife, the church singing out loud. I just don't know the words to the song yet. But mark my word, I think when we up there, y'all gonna look over from your horse and find me and, 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 and I'm gonna be like, I told you. <laughs> we're gonna be singing. All the worship leaders of the Christian church and all the, even the worship leaders that are coming back from the nation of Israel, they're gonna be singing loudly as we return. It's gonna be an amazing scene. So the win is after Jesus returns to the earth. These things we're reading in chapter 20 are not happening upon the earth now. They're not symbolic of the church in any way. We are to take these things literal and look at them for what they are. And he's going to repeat it over and over and over and over throughout the chapter. That he will come back and it will be a thousand years of Christ reigning from the earth. And I'll keep repeating it because it's true. But listen. Listen. What's going on here in this scene? Well, Jesus is returning. He's destroying his enemies. The beast and the false prophet are put into the lake of fire. And then John sees back in chapter 20, verse 1. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Notice this angel has the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now, obviously, as we read, this angel is going to lay hold of the dragon and lock him up. But he has a key to the bottomless pit. We've seen this pit before. It was open back in chapter 9. Do y'all remember that? You know, we'll be here all day. You got to follow the rules. Okay. Back in chapter 9, we saw that. Um, Yes. And here again, we see this pit being open. And it's very interesting because we don't know where this pit exists. Uh, From a geological standpoint, the only way you can have a bottomless pit would be in the heart of the earth. Um, We don't know what's in the heart of the earth because we can't explore it. We don't have the technology for it. We can send stuff to Mars, but we can't get down there. We can't even get to the bottom of the ocean. We have no ability to. Maybe God doesn't want us down there because there's a pit down there. I don't know. Um, But it's filled with stuff that you don't want to see, according to chapter 9. Y'all remember the creatures that came out the first time it was open and the sky was filled with smoke and some stuff came out that I am glad I'm a pre-tribber because I don't want to think about seeing it. But here he has the key to the pit again. I wonder where the shaft to the pit is. We don't know any of that. But he also has a chain in his hand. And if you catch the scene, notice what he does. And he lays hold of the dragon, that serpent of old. And let's pause for a moment. I want to come back to the angel. But he lays hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. He uses all of his names, serpent, devil, Satan, dragon, and bound him for a thousand years. Now this guy, Satan, listen, we saw him first back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. He brought, he led Adam and Eve, if you will, into sin and the fall of man that we know of. Remember that? And he did so by coming in at an angle, if you will, and deceiving Eve because he couldn't just show up. And, and do anything to Adam and Eve because he was no match for them in their unfallen state. Adam had dominion over the earth and there was nothing Satan could do to change any of that. But he wanted to cause the ones whom God loved to fall. And so he deceived Eve by making himself in or taking upon himself the form of the most cunning animal, according to Genesis 3-1, which was the serpent. He chose the serpent because the serpent was cunning. And he deceived Eve. And Adam sinned willfully because he loved Eve, and they fell into sin. And God speaks of him throughout Scripture because God was looking forward to the day that he would be judged. Isaiah says it this way. Isaiah, I look at Isaiah and Ezekiel. Stay with me. Isaiah says concerning this fall as Isaiah is prophesying about the king of Babylon, but his prophecy goes into Satan. He says, hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. He says, hell is excited. The kings of the nations and the great ones are excited about your arrival. Now, remember, Satan's going to be bound for how long? And then the great right throne judgment, as we read, happens at the end of the thousand years. So for a thousand years, Satan's going to be in the pit in hell, literally. And everybody's excited about his coming. It goes on to say, Then they shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? (laughs) Like you down here with us now, Satan. Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought you down to Sheol, the sound of your string instruments. And we'll get into that. The maggot is spread under you. The worms cover you. Oh, how you have fallen from heaven. O Lucifer, son of the morning. As we get into the detail of it now, how you are cut down to the ground. Notice you who weakened the nations. Remember that. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. In other words, I'm going to go into heaven and I'm going to be over all the other angels. I will also sit on the most... On the mount of the congregation, on the farther side of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Because all he desires to do is to be worshipped, to be over all the angels, and to be worshipped and be like God. But it says in verse 15, you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the what, y'all? Isaiah looking ahead to what John is now telling us. Verse 16 says, those who see you will gaze at you. And consider you saying, check this out. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? They'll see him there in hell. Well, uh, Ezekiel spoke of him as he was prophesying against the king of Tyre, but his prophecy moved also towards Satan. Notice in Ezekiel 28, verse 11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up this lamentation against the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection. Right off the bat, it doesn't sound like an earthly king. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Notice, you were in Eden the garden of God, which we just looked at in Genesis chapter 3, where I mentioned when Satan deceived Eve. Notice every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald with gold. He was beautiful. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were prepared for you on the day you were created. So he was created to be able to play music uh, the f- best music you've ever heard, which he is still doing through men and women here on earth. You were, notice the anointed cherub who covers, I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. In other words, he served in the throne room of God. Um, you were perfect in, in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing uh, out of the mountain of God and destroy you, O covering cherub. He was a cherub, one of the higher forms of angels who served God Um, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom For the sake of your splendor, I cast you to the ground and laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. You defile your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought you brought fire from your midst and devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of those who saw you and all who knew you among the peoples were astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. All the prophets looking ahead to the time in which Satan would be chained and put down in the pit where they'll gaze upon him. But here's the problem with the false teachers. They want to tell you that this is all symbolic of the times that we live in. Well, if the things we're reading about in chapter 20 are symbolic of the times we live in, then that means Satan would have to be chained up now. But I don't get the sense that Satan is chained up right now. In fact, the Bible teaches us that Satan is not chained yet. And all the apostles agree. In fact, they warn us about it. Peter warned the church this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the who? Devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Peter says, Church, stay on guard because he ain't chained up. And he's looking for those that he can destroy and mislead and manipulate and bring down to destruction. He wants to destroy you by getting you into the sin. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to devour the church. He wants to make uh, wreak havoc in the earth as much as he can. Peter says, be careful. Stay close to God. Stay in the word. Stay in prayer because we have an enemy. In fact, he, James says this. James chapter 4, verse 7, says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, if he is chained, then we don't have anyone to resist. But if he's loosed, we do. So we need to resist him and draw close to God. In fact, Paul says it this way. And I saw this Friday at abortion clinic. Paul says in, chapter, in Ephesians chapter two, verse two, he says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, meaning that we all, before we were saved, we walked according to the course of this world. We were wrapped up in it. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who now works, who now works in the sons of disobedience. So he is currently working in the sons of disobedience. We were preaching at uh, Friday at the abortion clinic and it was a powerful day. And at some point, it got so intense that I turned and looked at the rainbow people. That's the the people who work for the abortion clinic who wear rainbow flags. I turned and I looked at them and I said, can you feel the battle? And they're looking at me like I'm crazy, of course. I said, can you feel that? Satan's got you all trying to get them in there to destroy lives, and he's got us here pleading for their souls. Can you feel it? It is thick. And they're looking at me like, this dude has lost it. And I looked in the eyes of Satan because the one guy who was their leader was glaring at me. In fact, me and Steve, we were over preaching on the microphone. Steve was preaching. He came out so upset and came over to where we were. He's never done that before on our side of the fence and got close like he was going to get physical. And and so it was an interesting day, to say the least, at the abortion clinic. And one at one point, Mallory, who leads the ministry out there, her daughter broke down crying because it's emotional out there as well because you see women who reject the gospel to go in anyway. Um, and one of the workers at the abortion clinic saw this little girl break down crying and the abortion clinic worker dropped her head and had to walk away. It was too convicting for her. It was, it was a battle out there on Friday. Um, so Satan is working in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 6 verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against notice the wiles of the devil. There would be no wiles of the devil if he was chained. So he is actually loose right now. And he is wreaking havoc in the earth right now. Yet we are victorious over him by faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that's within us. Amen. (laughs) So that's the good news, but he is not chained, church. He is loose right now. He won't be chained until the Lord returns. And notice now as we back up to verse 1, this angel came down. He had the key to the bottomless pit and he had a chain in his hand. And the Bible doesn't say anything about this angel being significant in any way, not to put him down. I I love him because of the ministry he had, but it doesn't say, like it said in other parts of Revelation, a mighty angel. Remember, there was a mighty angel we saw. There was one angel with a loud and powerful voice we saw. There was another angel that appeared to be pretty big because he could put one foot on the sea and one foot on land. And we've seen all these different types of angels. Here, just an angel. It's just an ordinary angel maybe. He he might have been sweeping the streets of gold the day before, and then he got chosen to do this job. There's nothing amazing about him. He could have a simple name like Tyler or or Steve, the angel. Nothing, nothing magnificent here at all, not to put him down, but it's not that God needed a powerful angel to do this. You catch the grip there? Just an angel, simple as that. I think angels see Satan differently than we do anyway. When Michael, the archangel, was sent by God to conduct some business concerning Moses' body, according to Jude. Satan was contending with him, and Michael kind of brushed them off and ignored him. And he looked at him and said, hey, the Lord rebuked you, Satan. I got stuff to do. (laughs) I don't have time to fool with you. They see him differently than we do. And even when we see him, we're going to be amazed because he's not equal with God. He's not an equal match with God. He's not an equal match with Jesus, who is God in human flesh. And he is not in any way uh, at all all powerful. He's a simple created being who, within the angelic host, is not even the most powerful angel. And so, listen, he is being chained up. That's what is happening. But the reason he's being chained up, we have to explore. And the scriptures are going to tell us. So we we'll get there in a moment. So he laid hold of, of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil. And Satan and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And notice he set a seal on him. So Satan's going to spend a thousand years in prison. And he put a seal on him and nobody in the spiritual realm would dare go near that seal. It's quite different. They put a seal on a tomb that they put Jesus in. And God sent an angel from heaven that morning. And when he touched down, he caused an earthquake. And all the green berets, Navy SEAL, uh, you know, whatever, Alpha Company, Marine, uh, Roman soldiers fell dead like little girls and could do nothing in fear when they saw the angel. And he rolled the stone away, broke the seal. So people could see that Jesus had already left. But this seal won't be broken. For a thousand years, Satan will be bound. He is a pawn. And he will not be able to do the things which he has been doing upon the earth. Now, before we go on, it's very clear to me now and, and you know, doing some of the outreaches we do um, that there is an amazing power within the Christian church when we are walking with the Lord and, and we're in fellowship and, and doing the things that we're called to do that Satan has no power over. He tries very hard. Every time we get ready to go to the abortion clinic, crazy things begin to happen. But just to get there is powerful in itself, and amazing things happen while we're there. And this happens in other types of outreaches as well, but also within your own life. One of the things that you need to know and understand, listen to me very carefully, is the voice of the Holy Spirit. you got to learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he leads and guides you into Scripture and in through your life Because he is there to lead you and and warn you, to lead you into all truth, always according to the very scriptures of God. And it's very important that as believers, we begin to be sensitive to that. And I'll come back to that in a moment. Now, listen, why? We know when and how long. And we know what's happening. Satan's being bound for a thousand years. But the why is important. Why is he being bound for a thousand years? Well, look at it in verse 3. So that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. So he should deceive the nations no more. Now imagine what's about to happen. Jesus comes back. He destroys all ungodliness. He has an angel lock Satan up. Then Jesus establishes his kingdom on earth in Jerusalem from a temple that he will build of which he will rule. Scripture says With the rod of iron. All the scriptures making sense, right? It's all coming together. One picture is being painted through all the scriptures. Well, that means for a thousand years, we finally have a righteous leader, Jesus, and we don't have this influencer, Satan. So therefore, you have a thousand years of rest and perfection upon the earth, which the earth hasn't seen since the garden. But it's going to be better than the garden because Jesus ain't tolerating no sin for a thousand years. You follow what I'm saying? It's going to be an amazing time upon the earth. Almost hard to begin to imagine for us how that would even uh, go down because right now we are under the deception of Satan. And most of you can see it very clearly in the times that we live in. He deceives the nations. He works behind the scenes in the offices of prime ministers and presidents and congressmen and senators and leaders throughout the world, if you will, to deceive them in order that he may gain worship and he may control the population of the world. And he works through the elites and all of those within the world to do these things and he deceives them. And the problem is right now in the time we live in, even we, the church, because that's really all I care about, is being very heavily influenced by deception. So much so that almost like the world, we are doing what we are told to some degree because of the things, the deception that's in the world today. And part of the problem is that, especially the church today, unfortunately, is being inundated by the deception and don't realize it. As I told the first two services, there's 168 hours in the course of a week. You can do the math and make sure I'm right. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, okay? 168 hours. The issue is, and I'm speaking of Christians, not the world, the issue is over the course of that 168 hours, most Christians spend less than one of those hours actually in prayer. Most Christians spend less than... One of those hours actually reading the word and your time here on Sunday morning doesn't count. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm talking about outside of that. But all the statistics tell us that most people, and that would include Christians, spend hours per day on electronic devices, being inundated with media, which has satanic influence. And unfortunately, a lot of that is CNN. And Fox News, which are privately owned companies that are part of the satanic Babylonian world system to tell you what is designed for you to know so that you can do what they desire for you to do. And the people who are behind the scenes that are manipulating all of this stuff benefit from chaos and deception. They like riots on the streets. They like racial tension. They like economic problems. They like the fear that comes with a pandemic because in all of those things, they gain greater control and they're able to manipulate the masses even the more. And so they thrive off of these things. And the one thing that we have that can wash our minds of all of it and give us a clear vision is to spend time in the word of God and in prayer so that we're not heavily influenced by those things. You know, if you got a political candidate on your social media more than you got talks about Jesus and the word of God, you got a problem. Because we're only here for Christ. We're only here to represent him. We are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And if we go cold and quiet, we're accomplishing nothing. And so Satan is the great deceiver, the scripture says. He's the great deceiver, and he deceives the nations. And that speaks of not just the leaders, but through them and the elites, the population of the globe. This is why the voice came out back in chapter 18, which is for those in the tribulation. But it's an example for us today, which we talked about. Come out of her, the system, the Babylonian system, my people. Be separate, we talked about. Be different. Check out. You need to wash all of that away with the word of God and turn most of it off. And, you know, if you're watching CNN and Fox, I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you because neither one of them have any degree of truth coming out of them that's not manipulated and controlled. It's not there is no journalism left in America. There's no real journalism left. And I encourage you to turn your mind and your heart to the word of God that you can receive clarity and you can be encouraged and you can, you can be free, and you can live boldly. And I, I love what God does within the church. And look, God has called us after Easter. We're going to make some changes as far as our service times because it's time, look, it's time to just live for God and, 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 and be, the, be the church in the midst of the times that we live in. And uh, I'm so thankful for what God has done in the midst of all of us. But, you know, listen, God has much, much more for us to do and the church needs to be visible and active in these last days. Um, and so here we see that he, it's because he deceives the nations and God desires him to do that no more. But notice there's a limit to it. Look at verse 3 again. Till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Now, we're going to look at this further down in the text as in, in weeks to come. But the implication there is at the end of the thousand years, Satan's going to be released for a little season. In other words, the false prophet and the beast are already in the lake of fire. The angel comes down, probably grabs Satan by the back of the neck and says, you know, your time's up, dude. Puts him in the pit because God needs you for later. He's going to use you one more time as a pawn. And then you're going in the lake of fire. Why does he need him for a little season? Well, think about it. The difference between you living today And those who will live on earth in in, in their non-resurrected form during the thousand-year reign of Christ, the difference is they will live a thousand years of perfect living under the rule of a perfect king and an earth without sin and deception. They don't know what it's like to have temptation put before you every day at the manipulation of Satan. They don't know what it's like to experience the persecution of the enemy. because the Bible says, in this age, all who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All right? We will experience tribulation in this world. They won't know any of that. And so Satan will be released for a little season because they've got to make the same choice that we've made. Though we haven't seen him, we believe. And that's called a choice of faith to choose God over our own way because that's what repentance is. And they had to do the same thing. They had to do it in the garden. That's why there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You got to Think about it like this. Adam and Eve had freedom over 99.99% of everything created. Okay? And, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was put there that they would have a choice. That means that there was only .00 something of a percentage, about the same percentage of the number of people who actually died from coronavirus. It's about, about around there somewhere. A small percentage of people... Uh, a small percentage, excuse me, of, 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 of something they weren't supposed to touch and they found that, that little thing and they couldn't keep themselves away from it because we are sinners, aren't we? We would have done the same thing. But they had to make that choice to turn to God. God doesn't make robots. He desires, every, look, everybody that's going to be in eternity will be there because they desired him. They turned to him because they realized they needed him. And I'm so thankful that the love of God is more powerful than all sin. And you can come to him and he will receive you. He will love you and he will receive you. He will change your life. He will forgive you of your sin. He will pour his spirit into your life if you would turn to him. So we're out of time. Bow your heads. Father, thank you today for allowing us to be here. Lord, we worship you and praise you for who you are. And we long for you to come for your church. But today, before we leave, if there's anyone here in this room... Because the end of this chapter says that everyone whose name is not found in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire where there's eternal torment. Those are the things that we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks. And the way you get your name in the book of life is to, by faith, accept Christ as Savior, repentant of sin, turning from your own way and turning to him. And that's something that happens in your heart. It's a miracle of God. But if you sense him calling you to do that today with every head bowed, and every eye closed and simply raise your hand where you are and let the Lord forgive you of your sin and receive you and pour his spirit into your life and change your life because only he can do that. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, but the name of Christ Jesus. So father, thank you for allowing us to be here today. I pray that you would work in all of our lives continuously, Lord, throughout this week. We love you. We thank you in Jesus name. So really quick before you stand on your feet, if you, were, if you didn't raise your hand but you prayed that and you need to talk, there will be some people up here that you can pray with and then you can find me in the lobby. But other than that, God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. Stand to your feet. Let's sing.